Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. And welcome back to episode 14 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about all kinds of things in Hollywood, some good, some not so good, and some really terrible. But today we're only talking about, well, I guess good and terrible, because we're doing our end of year volume one, and we have everything from best male performance to worst movies of the year. So I am joined today by Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. And Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And I am Karen Peterson. And Kimberly Pierce is not with us today, but we have all of her favorites and least favorites. She's here in spirit. She is here in spirit. And we're going to include her, her picks as well. So let's start with one that I thought was really fun. Favorite lines. There are some great movie lines this year. Kristen, why don't you start us off? Okay, so my favorite lines this year are, are very, are, are varied. I had a couple ones, um, and I, I, I don't know, are we doing honorable mentions really briefly at the end of each category? If you have one, yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, I do have an honorable mention. I was going to steal, um, there's a part in Free Fire where Army Hammer talks about, he has a John Denver story. The ending of that line is hilarious because of how it ends. But my, my three favorite lines are, uh, number three is uh, from The Beguiled, You Vengeful Bitches. Um, I love it because it so sets up the year. I mean, that's pretty much how 2017 has been. And Colin Farrell's hilarious, mostly because it's juxtaposed with them being, like, terrified, and then you have this laugh line. Number two is from Get Out. I would have vo- voted for Obama a third term if I could. <laughs> I love that one, too. It's yeah. just, it's it works so well as it really situates kind of the systemic racism that Jordan Peele's talking about. Yeah. You know, it's all said with good intentions, and I've probably said something similar at some point in my life, um, so I, I thought that was really creative. And number one is actually a line that I thought was really, really pretty. Um, it's from Logan, and it's from the scene where the nurse is telling um, Hugh Jackman's character about Laura and she says she's not my daughter but I love her you may not love her but she's your daughter and I thought that was a really really well said line from a character that does that makes an impact in a very short amount of time so I had to go with the line at the end of it I could have gone with something funny but I went with something that I thought was just really really uh, was really beautiful and well spoken yeah that's great I love that Lauren what do you got uh well my first one actually comes from Thor Ragnarok which has so many great lines it does I hope you didn't steal mine (laughs) (laughs) well I I I don't know my mine is the Grandmaster okay and it's it's the final it's the final scene of the film actually because it's the very last tag scene Uh, and he says can't have a revolution without somebody to overthrow (laughs) So uh, you're welcome, and it's a tie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. I love it. And I just loved that line, and Jeff Goldblum delivers it so perfectly, and it's so brilliant for the character because you're just like even at the even at this moment of of total destruction, he's been overthrown. He's probably about to be eaten, and he's just like, "You're welcome." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Which uh, is the most Jeff Goldblumy thing ever. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Yeah, my second one is um, also from Get Out, 
uh, again, very late in the film. I'm T.S. motherfucking A. Yes. We handle shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. That almost made my list. That would be like my four or five. <laughs> it's and again, it's one of those. It's one of those lines that it's in the aftermath of all of this intense violence and fear and everything, and then it's like, oh my god! And we have this wonderful character who comes and it's like, oh, thank God, thank God! And he makes a joke, and it's wonderful to to kind of begin to end on a, a high note of humor. <laughs> and then my final my final line is from The Shape of the Water, which actually got me just a little bit choked up when it's uh, Giles speaking the words that the Sally Hawkins character is signing. Oh, I love that yes. scene. And, oh. and uh, so she says, when he looks at me, he does not know how, how I am incomplete. He sees me as I am. And it's a very simple line. But it's wonderfully delivered the way that um, Richard Jenkins delivers it and the look on her face as she signs it is just beautiful. It's one of my favorite lines in the film. And I do want to give that scene props because Del Toro totally does something. I mean, from a disabled representation standpoint, I love how that is. He he constantly reiterates, I hear what you're saying, but he's not repeating what she's saying in the right context. I think that that's really inventive pointing out how like able-bodied voices tend to contextualize through what they they think you know the gist yeah mm-hmm. and she she keeps on saying no you're not saying what i'm saying say what right. i sign right so yes those are my three man those are good ones okay so one of mine is also from thor ragnarok it's when take away tt as the the rock monster guy <laughs> he like he sees loki but he's not really there it's the hologram and he runs over and he's like piss off ghost <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that one. It's so funny. The line in I, Tanya, when Paul Walter Hauser, yeah, Sean yeah. Eckhart, when he goes, when he says, I don't know a Tony Harding, that line, like, at first I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. But then when I was at the Q&A after the screening of that, and I found out that that whole line is a typo, <laughs> it's like took on a whole new, like, I got a whole new level of appreciation for it. Because... <laughs> Paul Walter Hauser kept saying it when they were shooting and the writer was like why does he keep saying Tony it's Tanya and <laughs> so finally the, they like showed him the script and it was a typo in the script it was supposed to say Tanya Harding <laughs> and it didn't so <laughs> I love that they left it in and it's it's so funny so he's great in that oh, he really is he's like an unsung hero in that yeah. in that movie I think and then another one I love is from Wonder Woman, and it's when she, it, when she says it's not about deserve, it's what it's what it's about what you believe and I believe in love, and I just I like that because it just really encapsulates that Wonder Woman's not a conqueror, she's not out to to do anything other than just what is right for people, and she perfectly encapsulates that in in this line. So. Those are my three. I do want to throw out an honorable mention, though, too. <laughs> I love the part in Logan Lucky when the prisoners are in their riot and they're locked down and they're trying, they're submitting their request and they're like, and we want the next Game of Thrones book. <laughs> and the warden's like, it's not published yet. And he's like, that, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> the only part of the movie I enjoyed. It was so funny. I actually liked that movie, but. But that part just cracked me up because I've had that conversation with someone. So anyway, um, what does Kimberly have for us? 
So, Kimberly's notes say her number three is from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> I had that down on my list, too. <laughs> uh, number two is actually from The Disaster Artist, but it's also from The Room. Oh, hi, Mark. Um, she says that whole scene, actually. Yeah, and her number yeah. one uh, favorite line of the year is from It. They're gazebos. They're bullshit. Um, which, oh, again, would have been in my ten probably favorite lines of the year. I love that yep. scene. Yeah, good ones. Good ones all. All right. Well, let's go into, since we're on the subject of favorite lines, let's talk about best scripts. There have been some really good uh, really great film scripts this year. Yeah, I know people keep saying like, "Oh, it's a weak year for this and that." I don't. I personally don't see it that way. So, what do you guys have for best script? And we're we're doing this just all scripts. We're including adapted and original in the same lineup. We're not separating those out. So, Kristen, what do you have for us? So my number five is Get Out. I think it's oh, yeah. biting. It's witty. It's it's so it sets up what this this year has been about. Uh, number four was Shape of Water. Uh, again, I, I like what Guillermo del Toro does with monster movies, with disabled representation, and it helps that he has great actors saying those lines. Um, number three is I, Tonya. It's funny, it's crass, it's vulgar, I, I love it. Um, number two is Call Me By Your Name. Uh, it's got so many beautiful lines, most of them adapted from the book. And number one is Lady Bird. I think the script to Lady Bird is quotable, it's relatable. It captures a voice. I mean, Greta Gerwig is probably the queen of capturing time and place, but also what teens sound like. Too often, I think, when adults write scripts about teenagers, they try to, you know, do that, like, hello, fellow kids meme. (laughs) (laughs) But she actually knows. Like, she captures the voice um, without getting bogged down in, like, you know, we have to have these words that I know the kids were saying. Um, Even though those are in the script, but they sound organic. So yeah, that uh, Lady Bird is my my favorite script of the year. Great, and Lauren. Uh, well, I actually have very similar ones, but I will start with my number five is Thor Ragnarok. Uh, I I actually it's maybe I'm just biased because it's one of the few Marvel films that I watched and I could not stop laughing throughout the entire film. Uh, I think that comedy tends to get underrated, but it's such a good, funny, entertaining script that has a great deal of nuance underneath it. My four is The Disaster Artist. It's, it's, I mean, The Disaster Artist is just brilliant. And, and so much of that, so much of it is about the performances, but it's, it really encapsulates these characters without making fun of them. And they're strange people, but they're also wonderful people. Um, three, Shape of Water, very similar to, to uh, Kristen. Two, Call Me By Your Name. One of the things that I really liked about it is that I'm, I'm from an academic family and the way that everybody talks to one another in that film, the way that a bunch of academics are talking to each other, actually feels the way that academics talk. It's, it's both erudite and, uh, but also kind of realistic. So many films, when they represent academics and intellectuals, treat them as like, you know, they have, they're on this other plane or they're constantly lecturing or talking past each other. And this, it was actually a very connected and, and emotional way of speaking that is also very intelligent. And then my number one is also Lady Bird for all of the reasons. It's basically a perfect script. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have a little bit of overlap. <laughs> <laughs> my, this is really hard to narrow down for me. 
My number five, I selected It because that movie really caught me by surprise. It is well written. The, the dialogue is great. I, As an adaptation, I think it's fantastic. I had finished re-listening to the audiobook right before I saw the movie. And I, I mean, there are definitely some things they changed that I wish they hadn't. But overall, just taking it as this, this film, I, I think they did a great job with it. Number four, I have The Last Jedi. I think it's it's got some really amazing moments that it's one of it, honestly it's one of the better written of all the Star Wars. The dialogue isn't like painful to listen to and um there are just some really some really great surprises and I I thought they did a great job with it. So kudos to Ryan Johnson for that. Uh number 3 is The Shape of Water for all the reasons that have already been said. It's yeah, it's beautiful. And I love the way that they communicated so much, even though a lot of it is in sign. Like, I think they, they mm-hmm. really, it's scripted so beautifully. Number two is The Disaster Artist. And yeah, Lauren, you already basically said everything I wanted to say about that. And my number one is Big Shocker, Ladybird. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a brilliant script. And if, you know... I, I just, I, I'm i really blown away by how effortless it comes across. You know, it's, writing a movie script is not an easy thing. And Greta Gerwig just managed to do such a beautiful job of, of writing this story and the dialogue. Like you guys were saying, the it's so quotable, but it's so relatable. And I mean, there's a reason that everyone can see themselves in multiple characters in this movie. So, mm-hmm. and what about Kimberly? Kimberly had uh, a couple overlaps, although in different places. Her number five was Lady Bird. Her number four was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Her number three was The Post, um, which I have not seen. So I haven't either. You won't. I have it. I have no excuse not to have seen it. But yeah, you won't see The Post on my list. Um, Two was Call Me By Your Name. And her number one script was I, Tanya. All right. So moving on from best script. We're just going to keep working on some technical stuff here. The next category we have is best costumes. Kristen, which outfits particularly struck you this year? And really, I mean, how many coats do you have for us? Oh, gosh, I wish I had. <laughs> this year was not not as coat-centric as, as I would have liked. I will say honorable mention would have gone to Star Wars The Last Jedi because Donald Gleason's coat in that movie <laughs> is beautiful i love it so much uh, i don't want him in the coat i just like the coat <laughs> my number three is actually it's call me by your name which i think most people would have said i p- would have put that higher and i didn't but i mean that entire and the book is the same way the entire movie is about costuming um and it's mostly about army hammers costumes <laughs> which are very skimpy and i support them i have never <laughs> ever been so excited to see a person in shorts in my entire life until I watched this movie um and it's just it's all about just like dressing him up like a Barbie doll um and letting him peacock all over the place and you know what I support it my number two (laughs) my number two is Molly's game um which I actually got to see this on the big screen the other day and I was just in awe so I I got to watch this on a big screen one of my favorite costume centric movies is the bling ring 
because I just love to watch it and look at all the designers and the like high fashions that I will never be able to afford. And I love watching Jessica Chastain's character. You know, the more into things she becomes, the more her costumes become very extravagant. So she starts out wearing this, I think she calls it an $88 dress she bought from JCPenney. And then she transitions into buying like stuff from Barney's, everything she wears in the later half of the movie is Chanel. She's got just some fantastic costumes that I love so much. And I'm sure they're like thousands and thousands of dollars, but I want them. Um, and my number one is I, Tonya. Because part of why I always love Tonya Harding is that it always looked like she made her own costumes. <laughs> and I mean, that, that got her a lot of flack when she would compete. But I liked it, and I like how the movie, they look a little too Hollywood, but at the same time, they still don't look like anything a professional ice skater would be wearing. So I, I like that. So that's my number one. Awesome. Lauren? Uh, my number three, I, I am not a big costume person, per se. So I kind of just go like, oh, I like that. That looks cool. My number three is Wonder Woman for largely, I think, for the fact that the costuming actually put the Amazons in outfits that you're like, yes, women would definitely go to battle wearing that. And I loved that. And then they fucked it over with Justice League, but it was still there and it was still present. My number two is Call Me By Your Name. I thought that, and actually for that, it was more that it really gave a flavor of the period. Yeah. It didn't feel like, it felt like these are clothes that people are actually wearing. Nothing was anachronistic. Nothing was, it, it, but it also wasn't this overabundance of 80s styles that kind of made, just made people look ridiculous. Uh, it felt very natural. And I liked that. And then my number one is also I, Tanya, for similar reasons. I also think that the sort of, the quote, white trash clothing and stuff like that really evoked the the class differences between uh, Tanya Harding and the other skaters and the place that she's coming from and the place that they're almost requiring her to come from. And I thought that that costuming really worked well uh, in, in depicting what she, you know, the struggles that she is actually going through beyond just having a horrible husband and making a whole lot of mistakes. So nice. This is, this is a really hard category for me, too, because I've actually gotten to talk to a couple of costume designers this year, and just listening to their process and all of the, the thought and the care and the research that goes into getting these things right, it's costume design has just taken, I have a whole new level of appreciation for it. And so now it's like really hard for me to just go, man, what do I really think are some of the best costumes this year and there are really some great ones my number three is also wonder woman for all the reasons lauren you just said it's nice to see women that are appropriately attired for the activity <laughs> that they're doing <laughs> and i love the scene where she's getting new clothes and she, like that whole scene is so funny and she's like yeah. how do you fight in this like <laughs> it's great because it it's like it calls attention to the fact that her outfits are practical so, well, yes. even the the dress with the sword down it. I mean, right? Yeah, a perfect blend of like fashion and weaponry. Right. <laughs> oh, and that dress is gorgeous. And I just yes, okay. Um, my number two is the beguiled. Yay! Mm -hmm. I I love the the tones and the color palette. I love that. 
they look like clothes that the that those girls would have been wearing in that time period and you know it just it they looked like clothes that they would have you know had to make themselves but they know what they're doing so they can do them well and then this like the scene where they're at dinner and they're all dressed in their finest and like <laughs> I love how the costumes in the bagayo if you look the fabric on the tops of their clothes and the bottom don't match mm-hmm. because they're making them themselves I, I love that and again exactly. it harkens back to virgin suicides mm-hmm. if you if you look at the the homemade dresses from that film I, I love how Sofia Coppola really likes like how hard it must be to make your own clothes <laughs> right well and that's what I'm saying like where I really just I really have this whole new appreciation for costume design now that I've actually talked to people who do that as their job and I'm realizing like they really know they really pay attention to what they're doing so it's not just about what looks good on screen you know like I was talking to Jacqueline Duran who did the costumes for Beauty and the Beast and for uh, Darkest Hour and she was talking about the research they went into and the the suits that Winston Churchill wears in Darkest Hour the the wool for those suits came from the same the same textile shop where where Winston Churchill's suits actually came from Wow. So, yeah, it's like, wow, that's so amazing. You know, I find that fascinating. So, yeah, my number one is not Darkest Hour, actually. It is Victoria and Abdul. Oh. I really enjoyed the costume work in that film. I, you know, it's very, uh, there. there's so much to it. And it, I just, I think it's, it's gorgeous. It's very period, but just, I, there are some, some, points that they make like the costumes are really important particularly for Abdul in a couple of places because they make points about how the the British have dressed him the way they think Indian people dress and it's not really correct but it's it's just I, I like I guess for me my choices are based on like I like when the costumes really play a central part it's not just how the characters look on screen but they're 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 actually like moments where it's important to the story so what does Kimberly have uh, Kimberly has uh, some of some overlap. Uh, her number three was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. No, her number two was Wonder Woman. And her number one was The Beguiled. I do want to throw out, none of us have seen Phantom Thread. So before you yeah. email us and say, That's... how did Phantom get on this list? We haven't, we haven't seen it. I actually did see it, I will admit. And the costumes are gorgeous. And yes, they are very central to the to the movie. If I had a fourth. Okay, there you it. go. So see? <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's move from costumes into... I want to save performances for last. So let's go into... uh, Let's knock this one out. Let's do worst films of the year. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I mean... (laughs) Kristen, what did you hate this year? (laughs) Thank God we're we're making good time because I'm going to need to talk about some things. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, do you want me to start? Yeah, go for it. Okay, my number five... This was hard because I could have put, I did not seek out bad movies this year. I did not go see everything. So I became very selective this year on what I was going to waste my time on. So I almost had a list right here that would have pissed all y'all off because I almost put Blade Runner 2049 as my worst movie of the year because I did not like it at all. It's going to be my honorable mention. It's pretentious. It's beautifully shot. It's pretentious and it's misogynist. And I will have none of it. So that's my six. If I had a six, it would be Blade Runner. <laughs> and and I had a couple other ones. Like, there's some. there was some stupid and ent- entertaining stuff. Like, Unforgettable almost made this list. But I find it to be, like, so bad it's fun. 
Um, so my number five is actually the remake of Flatliners. Oh yeah, I forgot you sat through yeah, that. Yeah, nobody nobody remembers <laughs> this movie came out exactly. I I have been commissioned by a, a site to write a uh, write something about the original and the remake, and they did not do a pre screen for press. So I was like, okay, well I'll just go Thursday night. No, they didn't do that either. So I was up at the first show at 10 a.m. on a Friday morning to go see this remake. And I come into the theater and there's one guy at the very top of the theater <laughs> in this movie. And I kept thinking, I wanted to shout because I sit down at the bottom. I wanted to keep like, I wanted to shout at him like, what's your story, man? Why are you here at this movie on a Friday? Like, why? I, this seemed way more interesting than than what I was going to watch and, and it was because this movie is just so boring it doesn't even have the visual flair of the original I mean it's just it's stupid it wastes Diego Luna for no reason it's got some weird message about like not being a dick to people um, because you know if you leave your pregnant girlfriend that means you get to be haunted by fucking ghosts <laughs> it was just terrible it was just terrible your experience reminds me of when my friend and I went to see the remake of Poltergeist. Oh, God, that garbage. Really awful movie. And I remember we sat through the credits because we were just so stunned at how bad. I mean, we expected it not to be good, but we were not expecting how bad it really was. And we just sat there through the credits like, what? just happened yeah what did we just watch (laughs) oh my gosh and so afterwards like the credits finish and like pretty much everyone had left the theater and I turned to my friend and I said well what do you want to go do now and she goes unwatch that movie and this (laughs) and this guy like four rows behind us we didn't even know was there just yelled out right (laughs) (laughs) my number four is suburbicon yeah, and see, you know what? I can include my my darlings on this list. Um, you might see one of them more than once this year. Suburbicon was, I knew it was going to be bad, but I figured it would be, like, I'm one of those, I'm a soft touch for, for um, movies that try to harken back to um, a time period. Like, I love Gangster Squad. No one loves Gangster Squad, but I do. Um, because I like what it obviously seems like someone did research on the time period and how they talk. Like, that's a great movie. Suburbicon is just the concept of a good movie filtered through a director who couldn't bother to make a movie that was interesting. So he just decided to glom on to another movie that was already made. And so you get this weird Hitchcockian murder mystery that's also being like shoved by this race relations in the 1950s story. I don't know if you know this guys, but the 50s not a great time to be a black person. And if you're George the Clooney, you he's going to make <laughs> Exactly. George Clooney didn't know this apparently. So it's literally just like the most offensive story about racism because the actual characters in peril are not given anything passing for personality or names. There's just like a nice like can't we all just get along the children are our future store up uh, ending and it fucking wastes Oscar Isaac which I think is just a travesty um because he is the best goddamn part. My number three is Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales. I thought this was going to be the worst movie I saw this year. I was wrong. I was very wrong. <laughs> I thought this movie was terrible. Johnny Depp is obviously getting his lines fed to him through an earpiece and it's just 
the franchise is just running on fumes. It is like watching, like, Airport 1975 with, like, all these actors. And you're like, oh, remember when they used to be good? And they're not anymore. My number three, this one hurt me to put on, but I have to put it on there. The Promise. Mm. Yeah. Uh, this was not a good year to be Oscar Isaac, um, essentially. Well, he, he, he turned it around at the end. He turned it around at the very end, um, but The Promise was just... It's it's an Armenian genocide movie funneled through Dr. Zhivago. And if you're going to compare yourself to Dr. Zhivago, you better fucking bring it. Um, and this movie does not. Christian Bale wanders around asking why he's here, just disappears, comes and goes. Um, there's a really ham-fisted love story. The girl is just not compelling at all. She's like discount Winona Ryder. She just makes big googly eyes and that's about, that's why everybody loves her, I guess, because her eyes are so big. And it's hard to find a movie that Oscar Isaac is actively bad in. Like even he can make garbage and he's still entertaining. Here he just is not good. The, there's a love scene in this movie. There is a scene of like, you know, like hand touching that's supposed to be like transcendent in a church. He looks like a 12 year old who has just discovered like a boner he is just like so confused on what is going on what is the tone he's going for here i was like are you ill i i'm not understanding what i'm not you're not conveying love to me dude you're conveying like upset stomach i'm not understanding here <laughs> it's awful it's awful and he's awful in it what the hell my number one karen <laughs> i'm sorry it's the mummy it's not high on my list either don't uh, um, I have to apologize. <laughs> I just happened to see things that were worse. So I will say this was Mother up until about ten seconds ago, and then I remembered. Uh, no, The Mummy is actually the worst movie I've seen this year. Annabelle Wallace's The Kiss of Death. If you see her in a movie, run because it's not good. Tom Cruise gets called a young man by Russell Crowe in this movie. Um, <laughs> Russell Crowe is just playing fat man in a little coat. Um, this is the single movie that actively ruined the dark universe we didn't ask for the dark universe but we will never get anything else this movie single-handedly destroyed it and in a movie franchise where the mummy has always been this like power hungry man figure their only change for 2017 is this vengeful hell bitch that like wants to fuck someone to death well yeah what's wrong with that I, I, <laughs> I, I guess nothing but there was something with this yeah that's my number one it, it, it was <laughs> do we want to do we want to give kimberly's first yeah uh, let's do that yeah her number five was justice league mm -hmm. her number four was wonderstruck number three was downsizing her number two was suburbicon oh my god kimberly is my girl her number one is blade runner 2049 <laughs> Woo! there you go worst movie of the year according to kimberly all right lauren how about you uh, well, I actually have managed to escape this year with not having seen a great many bad movies. I am shocked because I love <laughs> bad movies and I usually go for bad movies. And the one of the bad movies that I have not yet seen and that I'm so desperate to see is The Snowman. And I still do not have that disc I and know. I need that disc. And I'm saying right now, <laughs> anyone who... She's putting a bounty on The Snowman. <laughs> PR distributors, I will review that disc. I promise you, you will get all of my love. Seriously, I need to see this movie. So I only have three okay. worst of the year. All right. Number three is Wonderstruck. And I feel, I feel bad about putting it on there because I think it's one of those films that had a great deal of 
of heart and wanted to be good and just really, really wasn't. And so, but it, it's just, it's not, it isn't a good film. It's not a well-made film. It's not an intelligent film. It's a very messy film and it, it's, it's a waste. Uh, my number two is the Emoji Movie. <laughs> that's ironic that soulless, that's number two. Which is the most soulless piece of dreck ever. And I, I, why did anyone go see this film? Because as a result of you people going to see this film, we're going to get more of them. And that's horrible. Don't do that. Just don't go see anything else. Go see Wonderstruck. <laughs> it, it's more worth your time. Seriously. My number one, and I am with Kimberly on this, is Blade Runner 2049. Because it's, it, I, I have not left a movie theater where I felt so angry as leaving the movie theater after having seen that film. And it, I found it more offensive because it tried, it, it believed that it was so good. It tried to represent itself as being this complex and interesting and philosophically layered movie. And it, it not only isn't, it is viciously misogynist. It viciously hates women. It, ha it has no heart. It has no soul. It is completely mechanical. It's very pretty. And I've said that before, but it has nothing else underlying it except for a violent hatred of women. And so fuck that movie <laughs> and fuck anybody who continues to defend it right now. I, I've reached my, my absolute limit with that film. All right. I have strong feelings. <laughs> do you, how, how do you, how do you really feel? Cause I feel like you're holding back. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say all those things because there's a film that I saw recently that I walked away from it feeling very much the same way it's very popular it's got a very high uh, critic score and that's very frustrating to me and I try to decide where to put this film if I really consider it the worst of the year or if I just find that it's very overrated and I decided see part of the problem the movie I'm talking about is Phantom Thread Ooh. and part of the problem that I have with Phantom Thread is that from a technical craft standpoint, there are things about it that are wonderful. The costumes are gorgeous. The set design is really great. The cinematography is um, mostly really good. I do feel like some of the scenes are a little too washed out. But from a technical side, it's actually a very well-constructed film. But it is very misogynist it celebrates all the things that we have spent the last 13 episodes railing against with men who are allowed to just be horrible horrible people and they're celebrated and it's you know you have to tiptoe around them because they're these artistic geniuses and I'm sorry but I am so fed up with that mm. I walked out of that film feeling so angry just like what you were describing, Lauren, with Blade Runner, like I, I was just livid and it made me just really angry at everyone who has said what a wonderful, beautiful movie this is. I feel like the women are completely they're like they're being celebrated for their performances, but I don't think that what they've done in this film is is anything to celebrate because they're really not given much other than to just react and tiptoe around 
Daniel Day-Lewis's character. Mm. And it just, I was so upset about it. But then I come back to, it's really well constructed. So I just keep not knowing what to do with this film. Ultimately, I've decided to make it an honorable mention because there are films that I saw that were just all around worse. (laughs) So my number five is Tulip Fever, which, yes, I saw. (laughs) I was going to say, somebody (laughs) saw that? It's like you and and one other person. (laughs) There were six people in the theater when I saw it um, on a Saturday morning, and I didn't know why they were there either, but, but yeah. I can confirm it exists. I have seen it and know it is not good. <laughs> My number four is Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. You really can see when he's getting his lines fed to him and it's like, oh, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Number three is Alien Covenant. Oh, that was I'm bad. Sorry. Yeah. I just can't with that movie. You weren't seduced Ugh. by Fastbender times two. Uh, Fastbender seducing himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, that skeeved me out so bad. Like, oh. My number two is a very similar ish movie, and that is Life. Oh, I like Life. Life almost oh made my, my underrated list. Oh, no, I hated it. And to me, the worst movie of 2017 was The Fate of the Furious. Oh my god, that. you come over here. You come over here right now. I am going to fight you. I will fight you so hard you don't that's even the know. One, that's the one with Charlize, Submarines right? Submarines cannot see up above them in the ice. Like, there's not a window on a submarine. Come on. You like, do not understand the, the majesty. Episode, like, the next one is going to be in space, I'm telling yes, you Yes, and it like, will oh be amazing. Hell. And they will, they will parachute from space, <laughs> goddammit. Screaming oh family gosh. all I the way. I actually liked I actually liked number seven. I thought it was good. That was the first one I had seen, and I was just like, Oh, this movie's pretty good. I actually don't mind these. And then I went back and watched some other ones and I realized, nope, seven is an anomaly. Well, you, you are wrong, and I'm sorry that you're so wrong. <laughs> I'm so I think sorry. the only one I've I enjoyed correct. is is still the first one when it was trying to be point break. You oh, you just have no no joy in your life, obviously. Uh, well, right, the later ones have I Luke like Evans, so I naturally avoid anything <laughs> that has his dumb, stupid face in it. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And I'm sorry, I just can't get past the whole, like, I'm mad at you in this movie because you killed my brother, and now we're best friends and we're going to work together, and now we're going to have our own buddy spinoff movie. Like, come on. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Gets about family. You have no heart. <laughs> It is all about family. Well, I hate my family, so. (laughs) Just kidding. I love my family. (laughs) Not as much as as Vin Diesel loves his family. Yeah, really. That is, no one can love their family as much as Vin Diesel loves his family. So that's apparently just a fact, so. (laughs) Well, let's move from worst of the year to underrated and overrated. So I, I kind of put this as like, I just have five films. A couple of them are underrated. A couple of them are overrated. So I'm just kind of like lumping them all together. I don't know how you guys. Yeah, we. I, I set so. it up as essentially just one category. So everybody just okay. kind of lumped theirs together. All right. Sounds good. Well, Kristen, why don't you start us off? Um, what do you think should have been seen more and should have been seen less? Okay. So I have 
two overrated, three underrated films. Um, so do I. Okay, so my first underrated film is actually Happy Death Day. I didn't anticipate liking this movie at all because the horror genre has just been so glutted with uh, gimmick movies and this is just Groundhog Day. It didn't help that there was another kind of vaguely horror-based or at least teen-based movie that did the um, Groundhog Day plot. Uh, if you saw Before I Fall, this is what I thought it was going to be. But I had a lot of fun with it. It's inventive, the cast is really good, so I had a lot of fun with this. My next underrated film is one that Karen and I actually saw at AFI, and it's Gemini. Hmm. Gemini kind of shits the bed by the end of it, but it's a really great throwback to, like, if you remember early 90s, like, made-for-TV movies or, like, the stuff they used to show on HBO in its infancy when they were buying content. Um, it's a great kind of throwback noir with Lola Kirk and Zoe Kravitz that is a, also a loving kind of tribute to L.A., and I loved how it looked. If you enjoyed Neon Demon but you thought it was way too pretentious... Gemini's probably going to be right up your alley. Again, the ending's a little wonky, but I had a lot of fun. Number three is their finest. This is the better Dunkirk movie, uh, as I call it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, directed by Lone Scherfig, who I still love from an education. Gemma Arterton does some of her best work. I love how it harkens back to 1940s propaganda films. Um, again, there's a third act twist that's a little over the top. and no, I still wrong. don't. <laughs> and I still don't like Sam Claflin at all, but I I love this movie so much, and it pains me that it did not make any money. I remember going to see this in a theater and being maybe about one of three people that went and saw it. It only played at my theater for about a week and a half. So I will admit I did not see it. And uh, I wanted to, and I will find it. it exactly. It. Give it a chance on, on DVD because it's so good. Um, now to get to the overrated stuff. Karen, I'm sorry, the disaster artist. You're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, my issue with this is is that the movie itself is just kind of a Cliff's Notes version of the book. Um, and I think the book got into a lot more of the intricacies of dealing with Wiseau and how he was this flawed figure. Like, my issue with the movie is that Wiseau is presented about as palatably as he can be and we soften or we at least try to mitigate the things that in the book made him look like a tyrant specifically involving his female cast and then at the end we say that deep down he's like he tapped into something he's really awesome uh, so a couple writers have talked about how it's uh, perpetuating white male mediocrity i don't know if i go that far but i do think that it's it's a concept of like the auteur and how wiseo in his own way is one it's a bit questionable for me. And my number one overrated movie is Blade Runner 2049. I think Lauren said everything that needed to be said about it. It's pretentious. It's misogynist. It's a Villeneuve movie, really. Um, I haven't liked anything he's done, so I didn't expect to like this. Um, and so much womb cutting. Like, seriously, guys, I get your, your interest in how wombs work. But watching some poor woman get her, like, stomach sliced open more than once in this movie is just overbearing. So mm. those are mine. All right. And Lauren? Uh, well, I'll start with my overrated because I actually only have two. My number two is The Endless, which is a... I missed that at AFI and I wanted to see it so it's bad. A, it's a semi-horror, Lovecraftian horror film. It's... It's one of those films that I was just very, very disappointed in. It's gotten great response, particularly from people in the horror community. 
I thought it was kind of cliched and didn't, it's, you know, I, I do a film critic no-no, which is, it's, it's not as smart as it thinks it is. And that's one of my major problems with the film is that it, it feels very pretentious. It feels like it thinks it's doing this really groundbreaking and fascinating thing. And it's just kind of intellectually minor. And then my number one is, is Blade Runner 2049 for obvious reasons. You're, I mean, people are wrong to praise this film the way that it has been. Hmm. Even if you don't hate it as much as I do, it is not, just in terms of plotting, it's not a very well-constructed film, period. Uh, but the more fun are the underrated ones. <laughs> so my number five underrated is Abundant Acreage Available, uh, which is- Never even heard of which that. Which is a film, I saw it at, I don't know if it's gotten a wide release yet, I saw it at Tribeca, and it's- a beautiful film. It's directed by Angus McLaughlin. Stars stars Amy Ryan and uh, and Steve Coulter as a brother and sister living on a farm who are trying to basically they they live on a tobacco farm in I believe Virginia and or no North Carolina uh, and they're trying to sell the farm because they basically cannot make ends meet anymore. And it's about their their relationship, their uh, relationship to the land, their understanding of the land. And it's, it's a, another one of those films that really deals with the sufferings of the white working class in a very, or the rural working class, really, in a very intimate way. And Amy Ryan in particular, like, I did not realize that Amy Ryan was such a great actress, and she really is. So I, I want people to see this film. It's been mentioned in a few lists but I, I really hope that it gets wider distribution and that people really pay attention to it because it's a heartbreaking movie. Uh, my number four is the documentary LA 92, which I also I have saw, that. I need to watch it. Which I also saw at Tribeca. It's a harrowing film and best documentary that I've seen this year. And I've actually seen quite a few. It's almost, it's entirely told. It's about the LA riots and it is entirely told through first-hand footage. So it's footage of the riots uh, taken by people that were in the middle of them, taken by news crews. It's cut together out of um, news reports and court reporting and all kinds of things. And it really constructs this, this intimate and very frightening story of this city that just explodes with all of this anger and this racial resentment that is, is both justified but also terrifying and it's a very important film i think for for this time period it's a film i've been meaning to see because i actually lived through that <laughs> i was in high school when the riots happened and i remember even though we were 30 miles away our school was on was like closed down and i had to stay home from school for two days because there were threats that far out so it's it's quite a movie and and the there, there have been a couple of films recently about the Rodney King beating and about the riots, but this one, I think, brings you so close to what is actually happening, and you actually see the development of the riots as they happen. And it's just, I mean, I, I was six years old, I think, when those happened. I don't remember seeing them on the news or anything like that, but just watching it, this was not that long ago. Yeah, so definitely, if you can find it find it <laughs> so so well done my number three is professor marston and the wonder women uh this would have been my six which i have expressed my passionate love for numerous times so i will say that again it's a great film see it i can't believe you people didn't see it <laughs> amen 
please, please seek this movie out. Number two is a movie that might not it's it's been released i think i think it got its wide release finally in 2017 so i'm going to count it as 2017 the love witch hmm. which i love it's awesome anna biller who's the who has also directed viva it is a movie that takes cues from vertigo and from bell book and candle and then filters all of that through this technicolor weirdness into this feminist masterpiece it is an awesome movie see it like you will never you there's not another movie like this one uh, and my number one is also their finest it was such a good film and again one of those films that i had heard about and then never came to a theater near me never like got a, a big to do or anything and i was like but this is a great movie why have i not seen this <laughs> so those are mine interesting cool um can you go ahead and read Kimberly's Kimberly's overrated underrated of the year she has an honorable mention um, which is Professor Marston and the Wonder Women her number five is uh, Goodbye Christopher Robin which she said is underrated her number four is Wonder Woman which she says is underrated I don't know if I think I think that might be cheating <laughs> number three why because it's one of the highest grossing exactly the yeah I think that might be cheating Kimberly <laughs> Number three is Wonderstruck, which she says is overrated. Number two, she says Downsizing is overrated. And her number one, Underrated, is also their finest. Woo! All right. Man, I need to see this. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> I will. I will. I will watch it next week while I am on break. So, um, so I have two overrated films. They are, I'm going to say it, In the Fade. Ooh, I haven't seen that. I have the screener for it, though. I don't think it's terrible or anything like that, but I do think that people are just giving it way more credit than it deserves. It's, um, there's just so much wasted time. It's, it, I don't know if it's supposed to just feel, I'm not exactly sure what they were trying to accomplish, but there's a lot of wasted time and I feel like it just doesn't, it didn't connect for me. So, and, um, my other overrated film is, a little movie called Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's never speak of that one again. For my underrated films, I have one that I saw. I actually got to interview the filmmakers. It's a documentary called Served Like a Girl. Did either of you oh, see that no. one? So it's about a beauty pageant that they have for female veterans and most of them they all are dealing with different um different things that happen to them from being in iraq and afghanistan but like some of them have lost limbs or they're dealing with um, traumatic brain injuries or ptsd or things like that and it's this really like it just made me feel so uplifted watching these women and the the experiences that they've had well, that part didn't make me feel uplifted. That was really heartbreaking, some of it. And, like, listening to how female veterans are treated. And one of the things that I learned was that female veterans are the the fastest growing population of homeless people in the United States. Oh, God. Yeah. And so this film, Served Like a Girl, is calling attention to that and trying to show that this is a problem. And it does it in a really positive way. And so even though it's talking about really sad and heartbreaking experiences that these women have gone through, 
it really makes you just feel good. Like there's hope and these, and they're supporting each other and we can support them as well. So it was really eye opening to me. It had a big impact. Another underrated film I saw earlier this year was, and I feel like it's underrated just again, because nobody has seen it. It's on Netflix. It's called, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. Melanie Linsky is I just love her. I want to be her best friend. And she's in it. Elijah Wood is in it. And it's just this really, it's weird. I'm going to say right out front, it's a weird movie, but it's a lot of fun. And I, I just related so much to Melanie Linsky's character. It starts off where she gets robbed and a couple of her things, like some things that her grandmother had left her stolen. And so she's basically just going around. She lives in a small town. And she's basically just going around trying to get her stuff back. And Elijah Wood's her neighbor and he's helping her. And there's just this part. I actually should have put this in one of my favorite lines. But there's a part where she just says, I don't want people to be assholes anymore. <laughs> and it's like, yes, that is me. That is how I feel all the time. So um, another underrated movie that I saw this year was Marshall. I feel like there was some I, I... bias in that choice, Karen. What do you mean? Hold on. That's the one I know has Josh Gad and, um, what is it? Does it have Chadwick Boseman. Doesn't have Sterling K. Brown in it? It does. Uh, yeah, I knew I was right. <laughs> making me second but, uh, guess. But actually, sorry, but actually he's, he's the, he's the defendant in the case, but it really is mostly about Chadwick Boseman's Thurgood Marshall and Josh Gad's Sam Feld. Feld- the likely story. So, and yeah, well, it would have. <laughs> It would have been one of my best movies of the year if it had more Sterling K. Brown. So, you know. But honestly, no. I think that it's a movie that, that more people should see. I think it was it was well done. It's definitely a different theme, a different tone than I expected. But I think that it's, it's a pretty good one. Um, and it's, you know, Diane Warren has a shot at an Oscar for this, for her original song. We'll see what happens there. Um... I'm also going to mention The Beguiled because I think that that one is definitely underrated. Yes. Yep. And I I think that prob- par- probably a big part of the problem with The Beguiled is that it came out in June. Yeah. I think that if it had been released later, even end of August, it would have um, maybe found a, a bigger audience. And then my most underrated film is Darkest Hour. I a lot of people are giving a lot of credit to Gary Oldman and he's amazing but I think the film as a whole it's just we have seen such a a dearth of leadership in for so many years not not just in this country but internationally like all around the world and just watching this film and remembering there was a time when leaders used to you know stand up for their country and used to you know make really bold and and difficult decisions in a way that I just, I don't know. I'm trying, I'm struggling with the right words, but I I just, I think that this film is really something special and I think more people should watch it. So there you go. All right. Let's go to best supporting actress. Kristen, who, which supporting actresses did you like this year? Because if they're not on your list, that means you hated them. <laughs> of course, of course. This was hard. Support The actresses this year were really, really hard for me. So my number five is uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in Mother. Mm-hmm. She is just, I hate the movie, but she is the best part of it. Just giving side eye 
acting like a child in certain scenes. I just think she does so much. The problem is that she's not in it enough. My number four, speaking of people who are not in the movie enough, Robin Wright in Wonder Woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Princess Buttercup kicking ass and taking names. I love Robin Wright. I've loved Robin Wright since she was in The Princess Bride. And I just think she is so good in this movie. When she tells, you know, Diana that you expect the fight to be fair, and she's just, like, wailing on her with a sword. It is just, oh, my God, it is so prophetic. And, like, if she could have known how the rest of this year was going to go for her, like, I don't even know. Um, I think she's just so good in the movie. Speaking of comic book characters, my number three is Tessa Thompson in Thor Ragnarok as Valkyrie. Nice. Um, I mean, she that strut that she has just kind of says it all. She's she's <laughs> tough. She's like this hard drinking. Like she, if this was a male character, she would be like Quint from Jaws. <laughs> she's like hard drinking. <laughs> be like, I can do that. I don't really care. Um, I just I think she's so so badass and beautiful and awesome. I want to be your best friend. She follows me on Twitter, and I just feel so <laughs> so honored. Um, my number two is Allison Williams in Get Out. Um, um. I I the character is I think it's a testament to Allison Williams that the first time you watch that movie, at least I did, I bought her sincerity, and I bought like when she finally turns, I was like, okay, well maybe maybe she's not a part of it um and then when she has and then when she has that moment with the keys you're like all like no holy shit that like that Uh is like the best acting ever she did a a talk show appearance on one of the late nights talking about how like white people come up to her and ask her you know well maybe she's brainwashed maybe she's not she's like no she's evil that's just (laughs) how the character is i was gonna ask you if you'd seen i have yeah and i i think it shows just A, how how we want to be fooled, and B, how good of an actress she can be when she's yeah. given the, the right material. You know, I've never been terrified of a woman drinking milk and eating Fruit Loops in my life until I saw this. <laughs> um, and my number one, of course, is Laurie Metcalf uh, in Lady Bird. I think that character is so good because, and, and if you say, oh, she's abusive, fuck you, that's not a thing, okay? unless you're a lady and you have like personal experience and then maybe you know i i have to listen to that but if you're just some dude trying to bogart and be like i think the character is just so relatable because she's a lot like my mom for good and ill i think that this is pretty much showing that laurie metcalf's always been a great performer and here she's everyone's mom and she's an individual with thoughts and feelings and i just i love the performance so much awesome uh lauren Okay, well, I've got I've got a few different ones. Um, my number five is Kristen Dunst in The Beguiled. Yes, uh, she was so good. She I I think that this is the year that I've I've had certain revelations about certain actresses, and she's one of them. Um, she's so good in it, and heartbreaking, and in a, in a cast of really excellent female actresses, uh, she really is a standout. She actually I think exceeds Nicole Kidman. And which is not an easy thing to do. So yeah, definitely Kirsten Dunst. My number four, and she might not necessarily qualify as a supporting actress, but I don't think she's going to get mentioned anywhere else. So I have to say her here is Rebecca Hall in Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Thank you. That would have been my six. I so wanted to include her. She's amazing. And I guess she is kind of a supporting actress in the sense that it really is starring three people. But she's amazing in this film. And... And again, managing to walk that line between actually very vulnerable woman 
and a very tough one and kind of a bitch, someone who is not afraid to speak her mind, but also is really desperate to be loved and to, and to love in her own way. And, and I think that she gives a great performance. My number three is Octavia Spencer in The Shape of Water. Yay! I, I liked her a great deal. She's, I mean, she's always a solid actress. She's always one of those actresses that is just fun to watch. Uh, in this, she gets, you know, it, again, in a great, already great supporting cast, um, she gets some wonderful scenes, and there are those moments where you think that, you know, she's not going to necessarily be supportive, and she winds up being supportive, but it's it's never, she's, she's never... Um, kind of shuffled to the side. She's never treated as a secondary human being. She's always very present and powerful and very much gaming the system in much the same way that the Sally Hawkins character does and that everybody else does. And I just loved her in it. Number two is Alice and Janney in I, Tanya because she's the most terrifying mother <laughs> ever and completely unsympathetic never, never becomes sympathetic. And there are a few moments in the film where you're like, oh no, they're going to like, they're going to fix her and they don't. And it's so delicious. And at the same time, so horrifying. You know, if you, if we want to talk about abusive mothers, this is an abusive mother. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every time there's an opening, like maybe you can get some proof that like deep down, it's why, it's why I hate the uh, end of Molly's game. Like, the whole, like, I love you in my own way. No, watch fucking I, Tanya. Like, sometimes biology doesn't mean you gotta love shit. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a woman who does not love her daughter at all. And and you're not even quite certain what she wants for, from her daughter, even. Because all of this time, she seems to be trying to get her to be, you know, stellar at this one thing that she is truly, truly good at. And then she turns around and tries to sabotage her. And, and there's no explanation in the film. The film doesn't try to justify her or or show just like, oh, she, she comes from a background of abuse herself or anything like that. It's just like, no, this is a horrible human being and she really does not love her daughter. And the fact that Alice and Jenny can also make that character interesting and fascinating to watch is really a testament to her as an actress. And then finally, my number one is Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird for all of the reasons that we have that we have expressed over numerous episodes. Yep. All right. Let's see. My number five is also from Get Out, but I went with Betty Gabriel. God damn it! I feel horrible for forgetting her now. <laughs> I I I agree with you about Allison Williams. She's great, but uh, Betty Gabriel just like you know that's she's the MVP. Yeah, she really is. And I just, she was so, so good. And she's the one that, like, when I was watching the film, she's the one that, like, really sold me on it, honestly. Uh, it's a fun movie, but, like, fun because I like horror, and I think horror is fun. Not funny. There's a difference. And I, yeah, I just, I loved what she did. She was great. My number four is... Beanie Feldstein from Lady Bird. Almost made my list as well. <laughs> I just adore her. I think she's so sweet and so cute and so realistic as a teenager who, you know, she's she's the, like, I, I so much of my high school experience, I was like her, you know, where I was watching my, my friends get all this attention and I was kind of just the one that had to 
be there whenever they came back for me, you know, and, but I had like a really good best friend that we did everything together. And, and I just, I related to her so hard. So I love her and she's great. Um, my number three is Mary J. Blige in Mudbound. Yeah. She was on my list as like number six too. Yeah. She's so good. And, and I felt like, because that's a hard movie to, to watch because like because it's so emotionally difficult and i think that she just was was the heart and soul of it so i love her my number two is kirsten dunst from the big isles yes. yeah <laughs> because i agree with what you're saying lauren i think that the fact that she actually stood out even more than nicole kidman that's that's hard to do and she really did it well, and I, I loved what she did. And I think that she, in general, has been an underrated actress mm-hmm. for a really long time. So, And then my number one, of course, Laurie Metcalf, Lady Bird. So. <laughs> just give her the Oscar. Yes. Yep. Let's just say, I, you know, they should just present it to her already inscribed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they shouldn't make her wait. Kimber, so. Kimberly's best supporting actresses are her number five, was uh, Palm Clementiev from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Is that, I think that's Mantis. Uh-huh. Uh, number four was Kristen Scott Thomas from Darkest Hour. Nice. Number three is Rebecca Hall from Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Yay! Yes. Number two is Allison Janney from I, Tonya. And number one, Laurie Metcalf from Lady Yeah, Bird. we are all that's agreed. Right. Yep. Citizen Dave approves of Laurie Metcalf for your consideration. Heck yes. All right, and that brings us to best male performances of the year. Kristen, who do you love? <laughs> this was hard for me. There were not a lot of male leading performances that I went head over heels for. And if you are thinking that somebody specific should be on this list, they're not on the lead performance because um, I go by Academy rules, goddammit. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, my number five, I did not want to put this person here, but I did not have a five. So, it was either this or Hugh Jackman for The Greatest Showman, but I already, yeah. So, <laughs> when you say, but Kristen, you hate this movie, I couldn't fucking think of anybody else. It's Jeremy Renner for Wind River. I could not find a five, okay? I'm sorry, okay? And somebody's gonna say something. I know Karen or Lauren is gonna say somebody else, and I was like, God damn it, I said Jeremy Renner. In my de- <laughs> in his defense, he is actually good. I mean, he's trying. He's actually doing, like, good work. <laughs> the role is good for him for the most part, but it's still Wind River. So, yeah, uh, my number four, let's go to, like, the actual roles I like. My number four is Josh O'Connor from God's Own Country, which I could have put God's Own Country on my underrated list because it's essentially the other Call Me By Your Name, only, like, with sheep in, like, cold weather. (laughs) A lot of sweaters in this movie. But um, (laughs) Josh O'Connor is really good playing this character that has very preconceived notions about homosexuality and what sex is like from that angle and and learning about intimacy and relationships and he's just so fantastic as this live wire of anger and hostility at him and self-loathing that has to transform throughout the movie into a a real human being who's able to open himself up to to love and i think he does some fantastic work um if you've not seen god's own country you really should because it's amazing my number three is Hugh Jackman for Logan, not The Greatest Showman. 
Um, <laughs> Hugh Jackman always, I mean, he's always dependable. Even in bad movies, he's always good. But here, as this dying Western figure, he is just on another level. And it helps that Logan is already a fantastic movie, but he is just intense and melancholic and tired and bitter. And it's just, I was rewatching it the other day and I was just, just as enthralled with his performance as I was when I saw it back in what, March, February? I don't even remember when that came out. My number two is Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. This is a role that kind of grew on me because it's easy to see him as the straight man essentially the the poor put upon character that everybody wants to um get get and really he's he as you watch the movie more at least as i've i've watched it more you notice this guy who is just like so desperate to be loved and to make up for the sins that he feels that he's put on other people and the guilt that he feels that you're just like this is a really good guy why the fuck does he have to be fucked with by other people you want him to succeed and i think that that's the mark of a really great hero that you want him to to succeed at the end even though you know that in reality the ending of that movie would be totally different and my number one everybody's gonna roll their eyes when i say it it's timothy chalamet for <laughs> call me by your name i rewatched it Exactly, scandalous. Um, I rewatched the movie the other day, and god damn, he's good. Like, I don't know anybody else that could do like a two minute scene of just your face reacting to something and like processing something, and you're just riveted to it. The boy has skills, god damn it. He's got fantastic hair. I'm not gonna, I can't end the year without commenting on his hair one more time. Um, <laughs> but god, he is just so good, and he's only 21. Just imagine what this son of a bitch is going to be doing at 30. He's going to have, like, multiple Academy Awards, and poor Oscar Isaac's going to have nothing. <laughs> <sighs> I, right. I, will throw out, I will throw out really briefly Kimberly's best male performances. Okay. Her number, her number five is actually a tie. Um, a tie in performances. Um, she sent Hugh Jackman for both Logan and The Greatest Showman. So I guess I shouldn't feel too bad uh, about using him as a placeholder. Uh, number four, number four was Sam Claflin for their finest. I'll forgive her for that one. Number three was Donald Gleason for Goodbye Christopher Robin. Her number two was Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. And her number one is actually Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. Nice. All right. And Lauren? All right, well, uh, I also had some difficulties filling these categories, but I actually managed to. Uh, my number five is Colin Farrell. Oh, yes. He, you might see him. Uh, I might he, have committed category fraud in a little bit. <laughs> he's he's very he's very good. I, I mean, I would consider him to be the lead actor solely because he's the only man uh, in that film. But, yeah, he's, he's very good. Colin Farrell, again, one of those actors that has grown on me over the years and that I think has actually become a better and better actor uh, as he's matured. He's really fascinating in The Beguiled. And that combination of charm and seductiveness and also very creepy and quite frightening and he kind of he sort of deserves what happens to him in the end my number four is doug jones as the creature in the shape of yes which again is a totally largely silent performance it's all about his body because of course it's doug jones so it's about the way that he moves but he he manages to evoke all of these emotions and um, experiences and depth 
in this character that never speaks, that hardly ever vocalizes. And you believe in the romance angle of it. And, and it's because he there is a tenderness and a gentleness to him that you absolutely believe that this woman would fall in love with that. And he he's just he's always fascinating to watch in anything that he's in, even though he's always almost always covered over with all of this makeup and prosthetics, but he's he's amazing in it. And uh yeah, I mean I fell in love with him. I was like, yes, fish man. <laughs> My uh, my number three is Army Hammer. Yes, and call me by your name, it's my boy. For for obvious reasons, I actually do think he's great. And and again, yet another one of those actors that for a very long time I was like, ah, oh, he's cute, but he's not. He's not. That you were nicer to him in the past year. than I was. I was mean. <laughs> <laughs> This year, he's really, I mean, I saw Free Fire this year, but this year I've really been like, oh yeah, he's, he's interesting. He actually, he actually has depth. And he does have depth, and he gives Oliver a great deal of depth. Uh, you feel for him in much the same way that you feel for Elio. Number two is Timothy Chalamet as Elio. Again, he's, he's amazing. Um, I, I will be interested to see how he grows up and what he manages to do with his career, uh, but just that, you know, he, he should get best actor just for the final scene in Call Me By Your Name. And my number one, I'm surprised at myself, is James Franco as Tommy Wiseau in The Disaster Artist. <laughs> nice. Again, I think he gives this character that, again, could have been this this ridiculous caricature, a lot of depth and a lot of feeling, and you... You like him and you don't like him at the same time. He has a great deal of, there are lots of things that you're sympathetic about. And a lot of things you're just like, this is a horrible person. He doesn't dwell in the weirdness and then he very much incorporates the weirdness into this character. Whoever this man is. Uh, and I think that uh, Franco's affection for Rizzo really does come through. So yeah, he's he's my number one. Nice. Um, I did not have a problem coming up with five. I had a problem narrowing it down to five. <laughs> so I just wanted to quickly throw out a couple of honorable mentions, just basically co-signing on a couple I've already heard. Definitely Timothy Chalamet is great. And so is Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, I also want to give an honorable mention to Adam Driver for The Last Jedi. I thought that this was a great performance from him. And I think that he was like, it's like Kylo Ren was was made for him. He's great. So, um, my number five is James McAvoy in Split. Really? Oh. Yes. I love that movie, and I was so intrigued by him, and I thought he did a great job. And because there are scenes where he's basically like, there's a part where he's one personality pretending to be another, and if you're not paying attention you won't notice but he does these really subtle things and it's just really cool to watch him do it and it's just like wow I, I was really fascinated watching him so yeah um, my number four is Christian Bale in the movie Hostiles which is in very limited release this week I think it's going into wider release in January but he's oh, that movie man I've seen it twice now and it's it's really great. Wes Studi is great. Uh, Rosamund Pike is great. So, and Christian Bale really just, he is, he is such a talented actor and he really shines in this film. Um, 
My number three is Mark Hamill from The Last Jedi. Wow. Yeah, I loved what he did in this film, and it was just such a... It was really fascinating to to watch him and to see just how much like his interpretation of a much older Luke and watching like what what he did with it. I I just loved it. It was, it was nice to see that (laughs) in a weird way, Luke is still that whiny little farm boy from a long time ago, (laughs) but, but like in a much different way. So it was, it was great performance. My number two is James Franco from the disaster artist. I, I love, you know, what you were saying, Lauren. I, I love what he did with Wizzo and how he managed to, to, it's not just funny and he's not just making fun of him. You really get that emotional weight of, of, mm-hmm. of Tommy. And like, I felt, I felt a connection to that character that I don't know that I would have gotten from someone else. So I think it was a great performance. And my number one is also Gary Oldman from Darkest Hour. He was amazing. So shocked. Love him. So, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah, so that about wraps it up for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can always, please, if you have your own that you'd like to throw out, any names that you were waiting to hear that that you missed, favorite lines that you love, any of that, please just shout it out to us on Twitter. We are on Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. Kristen, where can they follow you? Uh, we will throw out, you can also download the podcast uh, via citizendame.podbean.com, via Stitcher Radio. I was say that. Oh, okay. You, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, okay. Do you want to cut it? Do you want to cut it and just add nah, it in later? it's fine. No, it's fine. Go for it. Via Stitcher Radio uh, or on iTunes. And it'd be great if we could get enough ratings to actually have a general rating. We don't have enough right now. <laughs> so please, if you don't want to write us a comment or you're mean and you're snarky, um, just just leave us a, a review uh, or a rating. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And Lauren? I'm on Twitter at LH Business. And I think I'm no longer shadow banned, which is nice. Oh, good. <laughs> You were? I didn't know you were shadow banned. I was. What happened? I was. <laughs> I I may have called Paul Ryan something um, that that got me got me shadow banned, but I'm I'm fairly <laughs> proud of it. And so. we will say you wear that like a badge of honor. <laughs> and we will say if you want to follow Kimberly, who is not here, she is on Twitter at kpierce six two four. She is always with us, and I am at Karen M Peterson. So there you go. And yep, rate, review, subscribe, follow all the usual places, and we will see you around. Oh,